Amen. All right, let's continue now with our text. Uh, Matthew, we're in Matthew. Now, I, I enjoy Matthew. And, 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 and this first part of Matthew I want to draw your attention to and uh, draw you into is the birth narrative. Now, I, I, if you can get this for a second, just, just don't even look at the text yet. I want you to imagine all the stuff that happens as a part of the Christmas story, and you know the stories. So Jesus is the, born to a virgin, right? That's a what? That's a, that's a miracle birth. That's a magic baby, right? We got a magic baby right on the outside. <laughs> magic baby out the gate. Not just one magic baby. Well, there's another magic baby engaged too, and that's John, right? Because uh, that's a baby that happens to a very elderly couple. And then, uh, but, but as we kind of, as, as the text kind of comes uh, op- from here, from Matthew all the way to chapter five, w- we start assembling everything that tells you something important has happened. Miracle birth, very important. The, so- the stars bearing witness. What is that? The idea that there's portents in the sky and omens and a bright shining star, a supernova to announce his birth. So uh, he's a miracle and nature heralds him. Then who, who seeks to kill him? Who seeks to kill him? Herod, a king. Who, uh, who's, who seeks, uh, who do kings seek to kill? Other kings, threats to their kingdom. Uh, Then, then who comes to visit him? Three Kings, who honors a king? Kings. And you see all these proofs. Are, and then he's on the run to Egypt. And then he's, he's a refugee. These are all the marks of somebody who at the ver- And then he has a herald. Who's his herald? Who comes? Who's his silver surfer? Who is it? It's John the Baptist. And, John, and every great king has a herald, has somebody who announces they're coming. And now we're going to look at the first of these signs of these witnesses to the grandeur and majesty of Jesus. And that's what I'm going to keep talking about today, the grandeur and majesty of Jesus, because that's what I'm excited about. That's what gets me up in the morning, the grandeur of Jesus and miracle babies. I'm beginning here because to me, that's really the problem of this text for us as moderns. It's funny, I, I was, um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of sermons and there's a lot of stuff you can do. Uh, when you research this stuff, there's, there's thousands and thousands of books. But, but it's funny to me that nobody ever deals with the, the real problem, which is what? How does a virgin have a baby? And why does it have to be like that? Have you ever heard of fundamentalism? Anybody heard of fundamentalism? Fundamentalism is a, is, is a historic cultural movement created by Christianity to kind of marshal up and, and Christian culturally. And it's five fundamentals. There are five of them. But you know, it's funny at its beginning, like 1905, 1910, fundamentals were just the most simple things that Christians believe. There are only five of them. There are only five of them. The Bible's the word of God. Jesus is God and man. But one of the five fundamentals was the virgin birth of Christ. And this was one of the first assaults against Christianity as ultimately being a superstitious and irrational religion. And I think it's one of, the, one of the ones that's the hardest to answer. I really do. I think this is the one that always kind of got me a little bit. Why did it have to be 
a virgin birth. Now, why did it have to be something that at the outset, from the very beginning of what I believe and who I claim as Savior, who I've come here to preach about or why I give a career for, and, and his starting moment in time is something very, very hard to believe. Anybody here with me? Anybody here just want to go, all right, you know, I, I get tired of Christianity having to assault my rational uh, scientific mind. Why do I have to surrender uh, uh, the most ordinary ideas about how babies are made in order to believe in Jesus? Or why, why make it so hard for me? As there's a part of me I remember as a kid resenting this truth, resenting this teaching, because it seemed to me it was offering me a constant point of embarrassment. I had to claim, I had to believe, I had to teach, I had to preach that Jesus, a man who we knew lived, was born from a virgin. Well, it's funny. It wouldn't have been hard for them back then. As hard as it is for us to believe, and I think there's, we're, I'm going to give us a framework for believing it and for why it's so important. Honestly, how precious this teaching is, it never occurred to me. I never, I never realized that what was being offered to me, I'll see what, uh, you'll see what I mean as we, as we kind of unpack it. But, uh, but uh, they, would have been, they would have been very comfortable with the idea of a miracle birth. And this, by the way, does not help the credibility of this story. Uh, what I'm going to talk about, Zeus. Zeus had kids all the time. Uh, I actually had an image that I got. Reuben, I had Reuben's Leda and the Swan. That was my next image after this. It's a very famous picture uh, by uh, uh, Rubens, one of, the great, one of the great masters. I didn't include it because it's a woman getting raped by a swan. And I just couldn't see how an image of that could help you in worship. <laughs> like I, just didn't, I kept thinking and imagining somebody just going ultimately saying, Chris, why did you put up a picture of a woman being raped by a swan? But I want you to hear, do you hear that? That was what the ancients thought. They thought things like that happened. They thought things like that happened. And, and Zeus was known for his philandering and his impersonation of people. He would impersonate the husband in order to have a baby and all this kind of stuff. That's how Hercules is born. And there's all this sordid ugliness in it. In Reuben's picture, Leda is being tormented. She's passed out in her battle as she twist, tries to twist away from the beast. This is where this story gets very, very beautiful. Because there's no drama. In one sense, there's just no drama at all. Do you hear the quietness? Do you hear the quietness from Mary? Do you hear the quietness, the yieldedness from Joseph? Do you hear, the, uh, do you hear in the story the, 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 the almost, there's, it's completely, uh, what's, I'm trying to, it's, there's, it's, it's, it's almost like a, it's so gently assumed as the angels come. And so they begin this announcement. And I, I wonder, I, there's stories in here. There's a man who for a while thought his wife cheated on him. This was betrothal. And ancient betrothal was like marriage. You had to actually get a divorce to break up your engagement. And so this is a very precious time. So you can you imagine he was being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved. This is a word that, encount, you know, that's a word that I know is talking about a lot of sleepless nights. Because think about it. <laughs> think about the most natural things that you know and the attachments you have to the people you love. And this is a man who thinks his wife is a hussy who's been sleeping around. 
And then with so much tenderness, the, the angels come. With so much tenderness, they talk to Mary. Greetings, you who are highly favored. And there's this beauty. And so this story, it's, I think that Matthew and Luke both take time to tell you the story as, if, as a criticism of the ancient stories. It's a criticism of those stories of violence and rape and seduction. And what is it? It's a story of a beautiful visitation. I mean, there's a part of me that, that, that you know, this is really heavy stuff. I don't know how as a woman you process this because it doesn't seem that Mary was given any choice. There's a lot in here. There's a lot of emotion and power and visceral existential. Why is this here? Uh, uh, An existential angst. But uh, so I'm bringing that though because what happened to me was this idea of being conceived in her from the Holy Spirit. This, this miracle birth has a very, very important purpose. Three of them, actually, and I want to unpack today. And the first of them, we already saw it. And what was it? What do we do when we confess sin? We quoted the psalm where David's awareness. And what does he say? What does he say as he describes his sinfulness? We did it in the confession. What does he say? I was born distorted. And in sin, my mother, what? conceived me. What's one of the points? What's one of the beauties? What's one of the treasures being presented to us in the virginal birth? What is the point that God wants to make? That he is God and with him lies this power, right? Right? And with him lies this power. And and this person, Jesus, won't be conceived in sin. You see, he's already at the right this point bypassing, as it were, or running around the guilt and the condemnation that you own and I own and each one of us owns by virtue of our birth, by virtue of the stain and corruption that we inherited so easily. We learned sin naturally, didn't we? We were natural born for it because we were born in sin and conceived in iniquity. And at this very outset, Christ is saying, I've already, I'm already coming to be what you cannot, <laughs> to be what you cannot be, somebody unstained, somebody perfect, somebody impossible. <laughs> That's Jesus. For nothing is impossible with God. So right out the gate, there's a possibility that this person could be totally different. But it's better. It's better than this. And why it gets so much better is, I think, because of the names. Now, I'm trying to learn how to use this. There we go. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, this, this is where this idea starts getting purchased. Let me, let me, let me, let me let's explode this a little bit. Let's open it up. Jesus is Joshua. That's the name of Joshua. Joshua the Redeemer. Joshua meaning, Joshua Yeshua meaning the Lord saves. Yahweh rescues, Yahweh saves. And so even his very name has a typological, a descriptor. It's as if it was almost like a title. Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus the Deliverer, Christus Anointed One, Messiah. For he will save his people from their sins. What's interesting about this text is this is being written for people who already know what sins are and what salvation is. They're Jews. Matthew is written 
for people who knew a lot of theological vocabulary would have had it. But what I want to do, I'm hoping to do today is to, to draw a line in that back to that virgin birth. Why is that virgin birth so important? Because in your rescue, it is, it, it, the only way you can understand it is if you understand that you have done and can do nothing. You see, there can never be a rescue purchased by any man born of that original conception. No, this conception that happens magically and by miracle by the Spirit guarantees that a Savior has come who is a complete Savior for every sin for every failure, for every failure completely. And it's God's way of saying, of walking up to you and saying, I purchase all of salvation. And if you can, there's not one work you can do. You can't even be born to it. Right? Uh, there's nothing you can do to this for this salvation. And that's where this idea of being released and cleansed from sin begins to open up with joy. Now, the reason I brought this, put this picture up was this is a picture of one of the 18th century pharaohs. It doesn't matter who. But you see, he's right behind Horus. And they both have the, the crown of the Southern Nile on it. And the reason I like this is because there was an idea of miracle sons, divine sons, miracle babies in Egypt. Miracles, the, the king was a son, was the son of God. And that's why I had to listen to him. <laughs> because he was God incarnate. You see, Horus is reaching, actually reaching behind the king. He, the king is God. This, by the way, happened in Assyria. It was a part of Babylonian mythos. It was a part of, and what a phenomenal way to establish your power base, right? <laughs> wow, this is amazing. I mean, if you're, if you're king, if you're God, you can do, do anything. But what, what really strikes me about this is how odd Jesus is as the miracle king, the miracle baby. And what's his service? His work, I mean, sorry, his work. It's not to rule. It's to serve and to cleanse. Who cleans? Do kings clean? Do, are kings janitors? Are kings janitors of anything in their, do kings make their own bed? No, do, kings have to do nothing. But what is this king? You know, David, David began to imagine him as he described these and he italicized. What is the rescue of sin? It is unsinning me. It is washing me. Hide your face from me and erase. And this idea that's being presented to us is the possibility of a Christ who could be all of your salvation, everything you needed from the very beginning to the very end, a cleansing. I love the de-sin, the unsin word, as, as if it's somehow God is promising true reversal, true cleansing. But notice it's not just in you that a change has to happen. Where does a change have to happen? A change has to happen in him. He has to hide his face from our failures. And then the erasure, erasure of, all our, of all of our distortions. This is an adulterer and a murderer here. This is a murderous, adulterous man who threw at this. How can he claim that? He's beginning to reach into the total savior that Jesus must be. And that's why we have a virgin birth. He must be a complete savior from beginning to end. It must be a miracle. It's a miracle that you know him. It's a miracle. Your rebirth is, itself is a miracle. You know, I never thought about how I... All right. And then, but that, so that was what I would call life experience language. Then in theology language, we have it in Romans 3. And these were the language of theology, justified, redemption, and propitiation. What does it mean that he will be Jesus and save us 
from our sins. You know, it means that we are justified, legally declared righteous, just as if I'd never said. I was like that, that little mnemonic. Redemption means being purchased. Propitiation means, uh, means appeasement of anger. And you see the same thing here. Justification is something Peter owns, but propitiation, the appeasement of an anger from on high. What is that? That's a change in him. And there's this change in him and in us that is possible because of this divine birth, because now it is a complete salvation. But the way, I wanna, the way, the way that really charmed me is fantasy language. Fantasy language. <sighs> so I want you to be in love with Jesus. I want you to be in love with Jesus. This is something God says he's going to do with sin. This is how he's going to save us from our sins. What's he going to do? He's going to remove something as far as the east is from the west. Well, that place doesn't exist, does it? Doesn't exist. And, 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 and God says, I will remember them no more. He says stuff like that. But how, if God knows all things, if God is omniscient, how can he forget anything? What's the point here? We're being introduced, no such place exists or can exist with God or within him. It is not possible. Therefore, what? What is it? What's the, what's the conclusion, Gina? Your sins don't exist anymore. Your sins don't exist anymore. How can that be? Well, what else does the washing and the redeeming and all that, all that personal language and all that theological language supposed to entail? Nothing but a complete savior born to be a hope for a complete salvation, born of miracle because you were born of miracle too. Amen. And that is what we, this is our joy. And so, and I'll, I'll, I want to talk finally how we respond to all this uh, and we get to the end, but this is our joy. Um, oh gosh, this is going to be a problem, isn't it? We're going to have to tie this. Those of you who don't know me, I'm just very flaky. That's a nice way of putting it. But it's the second name. They, he, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God. It's the second purchase of this. The second purchase of this. It's this. It isn't this. Does anybody know what the scene's from? Oh, I guess it already says, doesn't it? So this is Krishna speaking to Arjuna on the battlefield, where Arjuna is lamenting all the violence that's about to happen because of war. And so Krishna, but I want you to know something here that's being claimed in the, in the Indian worldview. He is an avatar. What does that mean? He's just a stand-in. He is not Krishna with Arjuna because Krishna does not want to be with Arjuna and cannot be because Krishna is not a person. He's a force or a God. Depends on which branch of Hinduism you want to talk about. But the idea here is that this is an emanation. This is merely an apparition, as it were. Something that appears to be a God is not. And that was very common. That's some of the Zeus and Hera and all those. So this kind of common ideas were very, very rich. I want to get this image off of here because I think it's idolatrous, but... but I really don't want you to say I was sat in church looking at, looking at pictures of Krishna all morning. <laughs> all right, so what's my point here? That, all that is is an avatar. It is not God with us. It is not God in relationship. It is God dispensing from some eternal place, and he never leaves. But that is not our story. Why is it a miracle birth? Because miracle birth, rebirth, He's the first one of a new kind of person filled by God 
made of God's stuff in who he is. And that is what these guys try to do. That's what Paul tries to reach into. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. Why the virgin birth? To promise to you, to promise to you, Agatha, what? Your birth was real. And so shall each one of you be reborn. We will be reborn into new flesh even. You know, the promises of the gospel are richer and deeper than we realize. They, they, they reach into deep eternal things and put Ebby there. And they put Ebby into eternal and Juliana into eternal places and put me. And so this virgin birth, this miracle birth, this magic baby thing, while it was stress, stress credulity and scientific analysis, we begin to see, no, it's a story of new joy for me and hope of fresh beginnings and new starts of the fact that I can be a new person in him. In fact, that's what he promises. With the removal of all that guilt and shame and all that cleansing comes what? The bonus. You, Dylan, of God's stuff. You are now new things, new creations, new people. And that promise in the Easter story is cashed in. It was cashed in last week. We, we cashed in. I am, um, you know, I had these moments where I'm sharing about God's love. And somebody like Cedric, I've been trying to meet with Cedric for weeks. You know, he was kind of busy, he was traveling. And I knew I was going to do the interview for his baptism. And I do the interview. And this is what I said to him I said, if you were to stand before God, and uh, in a judgment throne, and the X-rated movie of your life plays for the judgment. It's done. God turns to you. I've seen the evidence. Why should I let you into my heaven? I ask these, I've asked that question for years, and I had this quite, I had this little anxiety that he might not understand what I was asking. I don't know why. I was just nervous. And he spoke back to me words of eternal life. <laughs> Jesus is my sin. Jesus washed my sin. Jesus loves me. Jesus is mine. I'm the new creature. And I'm listening and tears just bursting out of my eyes. I just couldn't stop crying because I realized I was trusting in me and not in what? The miracle, the miracle son. The miracle Christ who creates the miracle life over and over again by his power. He was just a herald. He was just the first one. And then Deepak came a long time later. And then we, we're all in line. We're all in succession. And so the promise of the virgin birth and its truth and its reality as a space-time fact and event is nothing less than a real story that you needed to be saved the same way as I do. I get it. Praise him. New creations, each of us. A new creation partaking in eternity. Eternal life begins here by faith. Now, all right. But I, I want to go back to the beginning again. And that is Joseph and Mary. And they, there's a word that they have that we don't use in Christianity anymore. And I want you to hear it, but it's, it's this word. And I love it. It's, and I was praying, it was in prayer this morning, and it really hit me. They're yielded. Have you ever heard that word? Yielded. What a weird word. I kept thinking, what a weird, everybody sees yield signs, right? We don't know what yield means. Yield means you need to let the other jerk roll through the stop sign before you. That's what yield means, right? Yield means whoever's most aggressive gets to go first at the stop sign or wherever you are. That's what yield means. Yield means I'm a sucker, doesn't it? Or yield means I had to... But then yield dead, what does that mean? Because that's actually 
we Greek you call it the middle. In other words, it's you acting upon yourself, as it were, right? In other words, I'm not just yielding, I am, it's a place, it's a state of being, right? Yield dead. Yield dead. What does yield dead mean? Did you hear it? Did you hear it in the story? My wife slept around. What am I going to do? And the angel comes and says, no, she didn't. Name him Jesus. And what does, what does, what does this man do? Yes. And what is that posture? And then Mary, she comes and, and the, the angel says all these things. And then she says something magically. Right there, she, what does she say? Because she's obvious. I don't think she even understands it. Like it's, this is tough stuff to get your head around. May it be to me. As you're, oh, may it be to me. Yield it. Yield it. Yield it. This is a place of conscious surrender to the will and plan of God. You know, uh, many of us complain, I don't know what God's will is, or I don't know how to understand God's will for my life. But I can promise you one thing. You will not know God's will often until you're yielded before you know what it is. Did you catch that? In other words, many of us are like, I'm going to yield to God, and the minute I know what it is he's wanting. How many of you done that? You know, I'm yielded to God. I'm, I'm yielded to his plans. I'm yielded to his purposes. I'm yielded to his rescue. I'm yielded to his salvation. But I'll... I'll I'll be yielded when I know what I'm yielding. But if you think about it, neither one of them get to do that. And each one of them, Joseph and Mary, prove, they show, they demonstrate in their attitude and action, what? They're already yielded. They are ready. Are you? Are we yielded? Or do we come to God in his will first and foremost saying, once I know what the will is, I'll figure out what I'm going to do. Is if you come to God that way, you don't, get, you don't understand this blessing. You haven't understood it yet. To have a heart that's yielded. Oh, but it gets better. <laughs> let me, let me, let me, let's pull up the strings. Pull it and let's open up what the implications are. Because you must yield, brother. You must yield your trying. You must yield your trying to earn a place before God. Because when you yield your trying, what are you doing? You're trusting that he is Jesus who will what? Save his people from their sins. There's a yieldedness to the goodness of God in the gospel. You know, a lot of you think and are motivated by words of shame to yourself. How many of you people do that? You're motivated in the morning by telling yourself what a screw-up you were the day before. Anybody else like that? Like you attack yourself. That's how you get moving. You criticize yourself. That's how you get forward. You attack in order to move. What is that? That's not yielded. Because it's not yielded fully to his love. You know, Patty, you don't have any sin anymore. It's a, it's kind of, it's hard to believe, isn't it? I mean, if I tell, sit here and tell you that there is not one sin you have that can possibly be counted against you forever, and we're all going, yeah, but you know, there's that one time I was with that girl, and I don't, I don't know what, I, and then there's all that times I haven't done this. What do we do? We're constantly negotiating. We're also, what are we doing? We're not in a place of being yielded. And, and living in our freedom and forgiveness as sons and daughters of the king. And finally, we're not yielded to this. We're not yielded to being a new creation. Do you know that the last word has never been said about you except by him, right? Nobody has the last word about who you are. Yield, yield. 
to what he has done and said you are. Yield now. Yield as it were and give up your self-recrimination and doubt and self-hatred and self-loathing because it has no place amongst the son of the king because he is a new creation and we are partakers of the divine nature. You yield it yet again to, his na- to the nature that he has implanted and that he is, yes, yield again. Yield yet again. And I, you know, it's funny. I think this is, a, this is something that we learn daily. This is not something that's going to happen today. How many of you realize there was a time when you were yielded? Anybody going to be like, oh yeah, there was a day I remember being yielded. Yeah. All right. Okay. That's great. And you can talk about that time at summer camp or, or some event you had at a a meeting or something like that. But I want to talk about being yielded tomorrow. (laughs) Yielded in a way that frees us from doubt and worry and self-recrimination. Yielded in a way that helps us to forgive others. Yielded in a way that lives in what? The triumph of this. Because this is cashing in on what Christ learned from his mother. All things are now possible. I, <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, when you're preaching sometimes, you, 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 it's like I want to throw open a door. Then I want to throw open the door so wide that nobody can shut it. I want to get it so open for you that you'll run in. I want to get it so open that you'll, you'll wake up in the morning going, oh, the door's open. I go to him now. I want you to have that sense that being yielded. And you know, it's funny. I t- sometimes it takes me a good 30 minutes to get yielded in the morning. Trust me. Sometimes longer. Because I wake up angry. Do you wake up? I wake up angry. I always do. I wake up angry that I have to get up. <laughs> I do. I'm, like, I'm just mad that I have to get up right now. And I don't know why, it's just always there. It, Tao hates it. It's, 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 she's nodding. Yeah, it's, it's, she, she looks over. She's more than once looked over at my face and going, what, what is wrong? I'm like, and I'm sitting there going, I'm just getting up. You know, before coffee, I am not a new creation. Right? But what, am I, but what I learned in that practice was to pl- find a place where I'm yielded again. When my heart is now tender to his love, living in his presence and living in what must be now be possible because this is true. Miracle babies? Yeah, miracle babies. Take a look around. They're all over the place. We're just a whole room full of miracle babies. Don't you want some more? Don't you want some more here? More miracle babies by God's grace and love. Praise him. Let's pray. Father, how I love you. How I love you and thank you. Why would you wash me Why would you cleanse us? But you did. I thank you for the miracle of your birth, standing and towering over our nature and and free of being born in any sin. Free and now the firstborn of a new life, God in man, you in us, with us, and in us. Father, I thank you that we don't have to, we don't worship an avatar of, of you. We worship a man, the God man, who became flesh. Oh, praise you. I praise you that we, we, don't have, we have real hope, that we, we have a fresh start in you every day. Lord, I pray for Holy Spirit hearts that are yielded. Yielded to your will, yielded to your love, yielded to the new creation, and living and standing in it. And that, that conscious decision, Father, to be yielded to you. Father, would you choose to, I pray you do whatever you need to do to get us to that point as we fight you, as we recriminate, as we hate ourselves, as we hate others, as we fear. I turn to this Christmas story of miracle birth, and I just want to see more babies. I pray that we would be a nursery, Father. I pray that we would be a little nursery 
and that many would come and know who you are because you're here. In Jesus' name, amen. Miracle babies. You know, I honestly, so few people appreciate all the outrageous things that we're claiming in Christianity. For example, on the night he was betrayed, I, I, hope you, I hope you reject Christianity for the right reasons. I hope you do. Because it's a crazy religion. It is. It's nuts. If you can believe the things it claims, you must. it's crazy. What is it? On the night he was betrayed, Jesus Christ took bread and broke it and said what? This is my body, which is for you. Take and eat. And the same way, he also took a cup of wine. This is wine to the right and grape juice to the left for those who prefer it. And said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And we believe if you come by faith, you are the God eaters. Do you, is that a little weird? Did I, get, did I go too far? You got to you got to you got to appreciate just how weird Christianity really is to understand how beautiful it is. So this body and blood is for sinners. So I invite you to the table and I want you to run to the table, get to the table. I don't care whoever you are. If this is your savior, you get to this table. This is your table if you know Jesus as savior because you're a new birth and this is some of your baby food. You're little babies, I know. This is baby food for Christians. Amen. We come back to baby food every week, don't we? Baby food. Mm, yummy, yummy. <laughs> let me give a warning. Some people should not come to this table. In fact, let me, remember I said I wanted to open a door so wide everybody could run in? I have to close the door too. I must close the door that no man can open. And that is, if you think you're a good man or a good woman, I'm sorry, then this isn't your table. And this isn't your Savior. The Savior came to save people from their sins. If you have no sins, then he's not your Savior. And so people who think they're good are disqualified. Isn't that weird? Isn't it weird how backward it is? I told you Christianity's weird. It's so much more weird than anybody thinks. Only the unrighteous are welcome into his glory. Not the righteous and the good and the clean and the upright. Praise him. Finally, if you're a skeptic and you find my claims outrageous, unbelievable, unsustainable, and you find that my worldview must be, I must believe in a flat earth, if you think that right at this point, if you think that I must be crazy for thinking of virginal birth, fine, that's fine. Let's argue about that later. But I want you to watch us worship and, and be envious that maybe someday you'll be enticed, you'll be aware, you will know this God the same way. Maybe you can know God the way we do if you're a skeptic this morning. So let's worship now. Now we're going to enter into time of organized chaos. Uh, as we, we're going to first uh, read the Apostles' Creed, which is, a, which is an articulation of the basic tenets and propositions of Christianity. And let, make no mistake, I take the Apostles' Creed to be true in space and time as historical fact. Let's stand. Tell me, uh, Christian brother and sister. Tell me, First Presbyterian guests, whoever here. What is it that you believe? Because I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, and he descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead, and he ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, 
the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Come.